Welcome to the Susquehanna Valley Baptist Pulpit, preaching a life worth living, abundant life in Christ. And now the message. Romans chapter 11, we'll read a few verses here in the theme this morning of our Sunday school class, the difference between redeemed Israel and redeemed Gentiles. Romans chapter 11, and we begin reading in verse number one, the scripture says, I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid, for I am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. Wote ye not what the scripture saith Eliza, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets, and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so then at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And thus concludes the reading of the scriptures for this morning's section. Here in Romans chapter 11, there's a great question that is asked. And simply we could paraphrase in this, what's the deal with Israel? Uh, and now this is not speaking of Israel in some replacement mannerism of the church or of saints that make up the, this, this age of grace. If you'll note, he, that is the Apostle Paul, is speaking directly about a nation of Israel. And I would have you to realize that Israel, when Paul is writing this to the churches at Rome, Israel is not a nation in the common sense in which we refer to. Uh, the place in which they live is a mingled population. There are Romans and there are Idumeans and there are Jews and there are those who are from um, eastern areas that have come in. Uh, when you look in Acts chapter 2 in particular, there's a whole host of folks that had at least visited that area. No doubt they had some type of familiar family or what have you there. But when he speaks of Israel, he is actually speaking of a people group of a people group, and, and I should note it be difficult. Uh, no doubt many of them have been given into marriages, and so you could even talk about what level of Jewishness they were. Were they uh, a full descendant of Israel or, or of uh, Jacob, of, um, of Abraham, of Isaac, or were they partial, or how much of them was Jewish? But in reference to what is being said here, there is a direct emphasis on a nation of Israel, a people group. And when you come to Romans chapter 10, Paul says the same thing. My heart's desire for Israel is, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is, they might be saved. Again, he's not talking about unbelievers that will come into grace and now be part of the age of grace. He's talking about Israel nationally, even though they weren't a nation at all. And so the distinction should be that he's talking about a real, quote-unquote, national group of people, even though they were not their own nation. Now to our notes, there are many that hold to a preterist view of eschatology. Now I use these words, these are some words I think to the which every believer should have some, some uh, understanding, some, some real focus on, and you'll note I put it at your notes there, preterist has the idea of one who holds the prophecies in the Bible, particularly about end times, have already be, been fulfilled, 
You can also have a partial preterist, which believes many of them have been fulfilled, but the idea of a preterist as it deals to prophecies, fulfilled. Eschatology is the part of theology concerning future events. Properly, it is the study of end things. And so there are some that have the uh, theology regarding end times as already, or to a great extent, already being fulfilled. And they believe that God is finished with Israel as a nation. Some go as far as replacing Old Testament Israel with the New Testament saints. And in parentheses, you'll see there the often used phrase church. I would have you note here in Romans chapter 9, that's why I started with a little bit of that monologue that he is talking about a physical, real demographic of people distinct from other demographics of people that cohabit the world today. He is not talking in an ecclesiastical sense. So our study today will briefly delve into the differences between redeemed Israel and redeemed Gentiles. Is there a difference? What's the difference? Why is there a difference? We should note, and this is an important uh, thing here, and we could give our whole lesson to this if we're not careful, but we should note that the only way to salvation has, and this is all caps in your note, always come through faith in Christ Jesus. Israel was never saved by the exclusivity of somehow keeping the law. Romans, we're in chapter 11. Let's park over there in chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 and verse 20. This is succinct. Uh, Depending on how you want to view Romans written to, it could be written to three types of these first few chapters, written to three types of individuals uh, in mind. You, You have the pagan, the moralist, And uh, by moralist, you could look at that as being a Jew. You could also look at it in one sense also, as of course we know it was written to the believers, that is the church at Rome. Uh, But in no no uncertain terms here in Romans chapter 3 and verse 20, note this. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And the reality is there, you could keep the law all day and three times on the Sabbath day, and that will not bring you any closer to salvation than not keeping the law will. The fact is, to the Pharisees in his day, the Lord said, unto the Pharisees, he said, except your righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees, ye shall not see the kingdom of God. Israel was never saved by the keeping of the law. Uh, The life of Abraham this is Romans chapter 4, is critical proof of this. Equally, it must be said that no one is is saved based on their heritage. In Romans chapter 8, or rather Romans chapter 3 and verses 8 through 11, he gives some qualifications on this matter and actually brings into the conclusion, what does it matter if you're a Jew if you still can come short of the glory of God? Now, I referenced Abraham just a moment ago. And uh, with that reference, I referred you to Romans chapter 4. And the fact is, listen to these words. What shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertained to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not for God, not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him 
for righteousness. Abraham is the biblical proof text, if I may put it in that sense, that demonstrates that Old Testament and New Testament saints are saved in the same manner, and that is by faith. And I might even say tribulational saints are saved by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what they're saved in. Uh, They are not saved by their works. What law was Abraham going to keep? He was years before the law, though he was circumcised, though he, of course, tithed to Melchizedek, though he lived, as many would regard in his day and hours, an upright life. In fact, in Romans chapter number 4, Abraham was justified by faith. Note the scripture there again. Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness' sake. That is the only way that one comes to the saving knowledge of Christ. Now, the next phrase I put in there is no one saved based on their heritage. Uh, Romans chapter 3, he speaks in verses number 8 through 11 in this regard, uh, in in speaking of these manners. All have sinned, the scripture says, and come short of the glory of God. Here's the passage we're looking for. Even the righteous God, which are by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and appall on them that believe, there is no difference. There is no respect of persons with God. Each individual must come to the solemn awareness of their need for a Savior and must commit to the solemn obedience by faith to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the picture of salvation. So as it pertains to redeemed Israel, the redeemed Jew and the redeemed Gentile, in this age of grace, both Jew and Gentile have and shall be saved. That's the key there to Romans uh, that we read just a moment ago. Uh, He talks about there's even a remnant that shall be saved. In chapter number 9, he mentions that. In verse number 12, there is, of chapter 10, (coughs) excuse me, there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. So in this age of grace that we find ourselves, both Jew and Gentile have past tense and shall be saved. Titus was saved. Luke the physician was saved. Paul was saved. Peter was saved. Uh, The Philippian, uh, Philippian jailer was saved. How were they saved? The same manner. Regardless of the fact of Jew and Gentile, though the gospel was first to the Jew, Romans 1 and verse 16, all of the Old Testament, Yet in this time and age of grace, in this parenthetical of Romans chapter 9 through chapter 11, we are grafted in to the same riches and joys it pertains to salvation and the future that we shall have with Jesus Christ. So as it relates to now, uh, we would say that uh, the Jew and Gentile are saved the same way and are the heirs of Christ together. So therefore, any differences between the redeemed Israel and redeemed Gentile lies in the future. And for the sake this morning of our study, we've broken this into two future eras, the tribulational era and the millennial or the kingdom era. And in those, there are some unique differences that do seem to be on the horizon. Speaking of the tribulational differences, I would remind us of this, that the Jewish people, this is a difference, will once again take center stage as it relates 
to salvation. Notice, if you will, in Romans chapter 11 and verses 25 through 27, uh, he's, <coughs> he's speaking in the previous verses, um, speaking about the grafting in. He said, if some of the branches be broken off and thou being a wild olive tree were grafted in among him, among them, and with them partakest of the root and the fatness of the olive tree, boast not uh, against the branches. But if thou boastest, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Uh, and that only, in verse number 19, by these branches being broken off might I be grafted in. That's, that's how we came to saving faith. It is the fact that God opened it, salvation, and its great emphasis to the Jew. I would note in John chapter 1, he came unto his own. He is not talking of his creation. He is talking of his descendancy. He is speaking of his people. He came unto his own and his own received him not. And because of their hardness of their heart and the blindness of their eyes, John makes it clear of this. Therefore, later in that passage, to them he gave power. Who's the them? Anyone that believes by faith can have everlasting life. To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. That's what allowed the Samaritan woman to come unto Christ. That's what allowed the blind, some of the blind folks to come to Christ. Uh, that's what allowed the Syrophoenician woman to come to the saving knowledge of Christ. It is, as it will, a great pause that exists where God, because of the hardness of Israel's heart, ceased with them for a temporary time that the Gentile world might hear the saving grace of God. Now, it should be reckoned here that just like in Romans chapter 11 that we read a moment ago, that Paul says, you know, even in, in the time of First Kings with, with Elijah, that there were 7,000 having built the knee, bowed the knee. And even how Paul was a member of, the, of uh, Jewish Jewry and Israel as a whole. Even today, there are Jewish individuals coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But as a whole focus, the gospel that goes forth is not done as it was in the past at the insistence and the center stage that Israel once had. But that one day will change. In the first, I'm going to say, 2,000 years from Abraham on down to the Lord Jesus Christ, more or less, in that time frame, Israel was center stage as it relates to the gospel of salvation. And now there's a pause, but during the tribulational period, Israel will once again be at that center stage. Note these words. He says, I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel, that the fullness of the Gentiles might come in. Who's he speaking of? You and me. And note verse 26. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this my covenant to them when I shall take away their sins. And so in the future, in the tribulational period, the Jewish people will once again take center stage as it relates salvation. Number two, the Jewish people will, in the tribulational period, be the chief messengers of the gospel in the tribulation. Now, in Revelation chapter 7, and, and, and for time's sake, we won't go there, but Revelation chapter 7 talks about the sealing of 144,000 Jewish virgins, 12 from each tribe that will preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's Revelation chapter 7 and verse number 4. A primary reason that 
Jewish descendants will once again be the chief messengers of the gospel will likely be because of the rapture of the New Testament saints has already occurred. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 10, they're clothed in white, they're seated, they're crowned, they're throned. They're representative of the New Testament era. Uh, and when you come to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, there is that day of Christ, that blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. Those that are dead in Christ first, and remember Romans chapter, um, or rather 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 22 and 23. Christ first, and then every man in his order. Uh, and so what we have there is Jesus Christ rising first from the dead, and following that, every man that placed his faith in Jesus Christ and followed in death, they'll be raised first. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be. So, not only will the Jewish people take center stage of race salvation, but the Jewish people will be the chief messengers of the gospel. And a primary reason for this will be the rapture of the New Testament saints. Number three, and this is the third difference. I would note that the Jewish people, nation, if you will, will be at the center of Satan's and the Antichrist wrath. In Romans, excuse me, Revelation 12, he talks about that dragon, that wild beast that shall come and he will pursue the woman that hath a child. And as you read down through the scriptures, that's none other than, of course, the lady Israel, the nation of Israel. They will take a particular place in the vitriol of the Antichrist. Just some 42 months earlier, as Daniel prophesied, as earlier seen in Revelation, there's a pact that is made at the onset of the, uh, of the uh, 70th week of Daniel, at the beginning of the great tribulation that's going to occur. It's nothing like anything the world has ever seen. He'll make a pact 42 months into that pact. He'll break it and he'll turn all his vitriol, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, He'll perch himself on the throne of God, proclaiming himself as God. And in, in, his, in his wild focus to destroy the nation of Israel, the Jewish people will be the center stage of Satan and the Antichrist's wrath. That will be a distinction. I would note that today, um, in many of the nations I read recently about a young family in North Korea, and the, the child's been put to death, as I understood it, because his parents had a Bible and they were reading it. Uh, right now, Satan is opposed to anything that God loves and cares for. His saints, his truth, his word, and yes, even that covenant people, Israel. And in the future day of the revelation, oh, how grandly that will be poured out with vitriol. Number four, a fourth tribulational difference. At the end of the tribulation, really only the Jewish nation will thrive. Many nations will be dissolved. Now, Matthew chapter 24, which would be an excellent study to do in the future, but this is the judgment of the nations. It occurs at the end of the tribulation, and they're separated as into goats and sheep. And the goat nations are cast into eternal judgment. The sheep nations will enter into the presence of the Almighty God. And so there are nations that will not thrive, nations that will do well for themselves, and it will be related with how they have cared for the nation of Israel in that climatic time of tribulation. But no nation will fare better than the Jewish nation. 
Um, this is to be the truth. So there's four distinctions that we've pointed out so far as it relates to the difference between a redeemed Israelite and a redeemed Jew. If I was going to add a fifth one, the fifth one would be is at the conclusion of the tribulational saints, uh, at the tr- conclusion of the tribulational age, those seven years, uh, many, many of the folks entering earthly bodies, entering into the presence of the millennial kingdom, the overwhelming majority of them, a great host of them, will be Jewish descendants. Um, I, I, I am convinced of this as you look into the fulfillment of the millennial prophecies that are found in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Zephaniah and Zechariah and Malachi. Uh, at the very least, most or many of them will be Jewish as well. Well, that is redeemed Israel, redeemed Gentile in the tribulational period. Let's look beyond in the millennial kingdom, millennial differences, millennial differences. This period, that is of the millennial kingdom, is one of immense peace. And there's a number of reasons why, if, if you'll look with me at Revelation, Revelation chapter number 20 has many of these preserved for us. Uh, if you'll note there, uh, just, just in the first couple of verses, and I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid a hold of the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up, set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must loose, be loosed a little season. So at the end of the seven years of tribulation, you've got the confinement of the evil one and of the beast. They're cast into the lake of fire. Uh, Satan, the dragon, for a thousand years. And he's going to be held there. And so during that thousand years, they're unable to deceive the world. That's a chief means that uh, the evil one continues into this day. I think of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, that the God of this world, having blinded the hearts of them that uh, believe not, lest they believe in the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. It is also during this time of the millennial kingdom, Revelation chapter 19 and verse 15 articulates this, the Lord God will rule with a rod of iron. And many during this time, many ancient prophecies to Israel will be realized. In your notes, there are seven of them, seven of them that are present. Number one, and let's turn, let's take a moment and turn to some of these prophecies, and I would encourage you to take maybe your ribbon or your finger or a bulletin and slide into uh, uh, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and Zephaniah. I would believe are the ones that I would look at. Make that Zechariah. But I would slide three markers in there, and it will make us move a little bit quicker. But turn, if you will, to Ezekiel. Uh, Ezekiel, and I want you to notice chapter number 11. Ezekiel chapter number 11 and read of a distinction as it pertains to Israel nationally in the millennial kingdom versus redeemed Gentiles. This is a powerful expression here. One of them is that Israel will possess a land. Now here's an amazing thing. Um, You're coming out of the tribulational period. You've You've had seven years of torrid judgment of God. You've had seven years of wars and rumors of wars. You've had nations more or less that have become fiefdoms. Uh, You've had destruction of population. Yes, I believe it's on a global scale. And as this all relates to this massive uh, evil that shall come, 
and then a judgment of goats and sheep nations, you're looking at a geopolitical shakeup globally. You want to speak of a new world order. I mean, the world order will be realigned when it comes to millennial kingdom. And at the top will be none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, who will rule with the rod of iron, keeping everything in line. So this is an amazing time. And so now coming into the millennial kingdom, these nations are reallocated lands. I mean, we talk about shifts in world order historically. Uh, there was a time when, uh, when uh, various groups, Goths and Visigoths, for instance, were dominated Germany. They do not anymore. There were times when Egyptians dominated the Middle East. They do not anymore. And that could be said of so many areas, not, not the least here. This is a time where uh, Native Americans, as they're called, indigenous people, uh, Indians of various faction tribes dominated huge swaths of this country. Uh, there was never a time, it would seem, that one tribe dominated all of it. But it was placed together, uh, consolidated by the people of the United States of America. And as you look at that, that is a shakeup in world order. And one day at the Millennial Kingdom, this is going to be the way in which it occurs again. However, Ezekiel has something interesting by way of prophecy to share with us. Look in chapter 11, and I want you to note verse 17. Therefore saith, therefore say, thus saith the Lord God, although I have cast them far off among the heathen, Although I have scattered them among the countries, yet will I be to them as a little sanctuary in countries where they shall come. Ezekiel chapter 11 and verse 16. Now note the next verses. Therefore say, I, thus saith the Lord God, I even will gather you from the people, assemble you out of the countries wherein ye have been scattered. And note this, I will give you the land of Israel. That's a mighty powerful statement. Uh, because we're standing here in 2023 and the nation of Israel still do not maintain the land that God has pledged to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And perhaps except during the time of maybe David or Solomon, it never has ever been the case. And yet one of the great differences is the nation of Israel, the redeemed people of Israel, will inhabit a specific piece of land given to a specific progenitor of theirs. And that cannot be said for the balance of tribulational surviving saints. Those that make up the sheep nations they're not told they're going to be given a specific piece of land. No doubt they'll be given land, but God is very specific where the Jewish land will be. Uh, we could look in chapter 39, Ezekiel chapter number 39, and note this in verse number 25 and, and following. He says, I will bring again the captivity of Jacob, have mercy upon the whole house of Israel, will be jealous for my holy name. And he says in verse 26, they will dwell safely in their land, and none made them afraid. And we can continue to look at what Jeremiah says over in um, Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 8 and 9, if time would allow us. But the suffice it to say that one of the differences in the millennial reign as it pertains is that the redeemed Israel that come out of the tribulational saint, they're not martyred, they will have their own land. And that is different than what a redeemed Gentile in that time frame will have. Notice the second one, and, and I did not even articulate this. They will possess the land, and notice all caps there, permanently, permanently. Notice number two, 
Notice number two, Zechariah. That's another finger mark for us. Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah chapter number 14. And as you're looking there, we'll come upon another truth uh, that we find. And in Zechariah chapter number 14, and I'll just read number nine and a couple other verses. It says, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord in his name. All the land shall be turned as a plain from Gibeah to Ramon, south of Jerusalem. It shall be lifted up, inhabited in her place, from Benjamin's gates into the place of the first gate, into the corner gate, from the tower of Haniel unto the king's winepress. Men shall dwell there. It goes on in verse 11, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. As you continue to read down through all of those, the reality that comes to truth is this. Christ will rule from Jerusalem. That's why she'll be inhabited safely. Uh, you think of all the great countries and all of their magnificent cities. Um, I cannot name. There's over 50 cities in the nation of China that have more than a million people. Tokyo being the largest, I believe, the largest population center on the face of the world. Uh, New York City being in that in that perhaps top five list here. Other great cities that are around the world over. You would not put Jerusalem on the short list. It would be a very long list before you'd come down to Jerusalem or Tel Aviv as being one of the chief cities. But in that day of the millennial kingdom, the place, the capital of the Jewish people since the time of David forward will be the throne dwelling place, if I can put it in that sense, of Jesus Christ. He's going to reign. They'll dwell there in safety. And that is a Jewish city. That is something different. Right now as it is in these, this age of the Gentiles, you would list a hundred, uh, nay, maybe a couple of hundred influential cities, all of which are non-Jewish. But in that day it will be different. The differences will be made in the millennial reign. Christ will rule from Jerusalem. Let me show you another difference. You're here in Ezekiel. Ezekiel, or if you're still in, um, in Zechariah, turn to Ezekiel. And notice, if you will, chapter 37, Ezekiel chapter 37. And I'll read two verses, in verses 24 and 25, and this is our third difference. David will reign. David, the greatest Jewish king of all of Jewish history, at his resurrection, will rule again. And this is not uh, some type of type. I believe it's a, a real existence. In fact, Isaiah chapter 55, verses 3 and 4, he says, I'll give unto David a people, a commander among the people. Here in Ezekiel chapter 37 and verse 24, And David my servant shall be king over them. They all shall have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgment, observe my statutes. You come down to the end of verse 25, And my servant David shall be their prince forever. You want to know a remarkable difference? The great influence the Jewish people will have. A Jew will be co-regent with the Almighty God. That is a level of grand influence that is distinct from what exists today. Notice another one, if you will, a fourth one, and that is that temple sacrifices will commence. Temple sacrifices will commence. Turn over, if you will, to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 33. And notice, if you will, verse number 18. He speaks in verse 16 about Judah being saved. Jerusalem shall dwell safely. 
in the name wherein thou, she shall be called the Lord our righteousness. For thus saith the Lord, David shall never want a man to sit upon the throne of the house of Israel. Why? Because he'll be doing it. He'll sit there. And the Lord Jesus will rule as the potentate and David as his co-regent. Now notice verse 18. Neither shall the priest of Levites want a man before me to offer burnt offerings and to kindle meat offerings and to do sacrifice continually. What's he referencing? Well, he's referencing a time in which offering worship, sacrificial worship will be offered, and yes, upon the Temple Mount. Notice what, uh, I think it's Malachi. Malachi says in chapter 3, he says um, in verse number 3, he, this is the messenger that shall come, will sit as a refiner, a purifier of the silver. He shall purify the sons of Levi, purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord as in the days of old, as in the former years. Here's an interesting thing. If you take a preterist view of this, that it's already been fulfilled, then it stopped. They've not offered temple worship on systematic basis in the last 1950 years. They'll have it for a brief time, but it will be concluded and Jerusalem will not lie in safety. This has to be a future time. During the millennial reign, there will be temple sacrifices that will commence. Now this brings up an interesting question. If you've got a temple that's Jewish, and you've got a co-regent that's Jewish, and you've got a preeminent Jewish city, and you've got ritual sacrifices being offered, this brings an interesting question and leads to a fifth difference. And that is that Jews will administer the worship of God in his temple. Notice a few verses, if you will. Look at Isaiah. A few of them here in Isaiah. And I, I want to go to the beginning. Isaiah, sometimes I reference it as being the gospel of Isaiah. But Isaiah chapter number 2. Isaiah chapter number 2. And it shall come to pass, verse number 2, in the last days, that the mount of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow into it. That has not been fulfilled. That's the millennial kingdom he references. And many people shall... Go and say, come ye. Well, who is he talking to? Well, we, we got to go back to who he's talking to in the first place. And he's talking about Judah, Jews, specifically um, in, the, in the southern kingdom there and, he, and Jerusalem. He says, come ye, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God. He will teach us the way, his way. We will walk in his path. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Come, let's go. Uh, notice, if you will, in uh, Zechariah. Zechariah, chapter number 8. Zechariah, chapter number 8. This is why we put these markers in there to help us a little bit. Listen to this. <clears throat> Yea, verse 22, many people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem to pray before the Lord. Thus, verse 23, saith the Lord of hosts, in those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold out of all languages of the nation, even shall take hold on the skirts of him that is Jew, saying, we will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Jewish people, I, I think the nation of, of uh, Israel, specifically the tribe of Levite, will be back 
to a type of temple administration. The Jews will administer the worship of God. Time's sake is getting hold of us. Let me finish this up. Number six, number six, Zephaniah chapter three, Zephaniah chapter number three. I won't read all of this, but this is exciting. Um, there'll be one singular language. There'll be one singular language that will exist. Uh, you speak of a universal language. It's getting hard pressed for countries today to even have a single language. Um, but in this day, there'll be one language that is dominating the world over. Not only will it be the language of the art world, it will be the language of the business world. It'll be a language of, of if, you, if I can put it in this sense, the religious world, it'll be the dominating language. Note this, verse 9. Zephaniah 3, 9, for then will I turn to the people a pure language that they may call, they may all call upon the name of the Lord to serve him with one consent. That'll be one language. Well, that's the way it was during the time of Adam and during the time of, uh, of, um, of Noah uh, up to the building of Babel, you know, and God brought the languages in. I would submit to you in some sense that that very well might be the Hebrew language. Uh, I can't prove that in the text of Scripture. I can tell you there's one language. And being that his capital's in Jerusalem, and being that his temple is in Jerusalem, and being that when he was on earth, he came unto his own people, I would submit to you that it is the Hebrew language, not perhaps the one of today, of uh, perhaps the one from the original language, but nonetheless, a singular language will exist. And that'll be distinct. Uh, the Jewish people as a whole are Hebrewic, though I know their influence, Yiddish and Sephardic and, and others as well. But when you get among the Gentiles, there's an innumerable host of languages. One language, one commonality, one consent. And number eight, we come to Micah. Micah the prophet, and he gives us the last indubitable uh, thought there in Micah chapter 4 and verse 1. But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow unto it. Many nations shall come, many nations. The word of the Lord from Jerusalem. I would note as we have to some degree earlier that a seventh distinction between redeemed Israel and the redeemed Gentiles, Jerusalem, Mount Zion will be the dominant city of the world. These are differences, 11 differences of redeemed Israel and the redeemed Gentile. Four in the tribulational era and seven in the millennial kingdom era. Uh, the millennial reign of Christ will be spectacular. He will fulfill every promise that the Old Testament prophets looked for concerning Israel. He will not fail. As this 1,000-year period moves forward, the population will explode. Uh, let me read you the passage here in, in Zechariah. The passage here in Zechariah. Oh, he's... Zechariah. Notice, if you will, in chapter number 8. All right, Zechariah chapter number 8, and note verse 4, Thus saith the Lord, there shall, yet, uh, there shall yet old men and old women dwell in the streets of Jerusalem, every man with his staff in his hand for very age, very old, very old the idea. Yet also in these streets the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets thereof. 
What do you have? You have a city that's not demonstrative by just an aged one, but by youngest. You've got multi-generational there. The population will explode. Isaiah. Isaiah 65 speaks of the fact uh, that the life expectancy will dramatically increase, that even a child that would, someone that died at 100 be esteemed as a child, the idea would be. And that, of course, death and calamity will be rare. Isaiah, let me read you these passages. These are marvelous ones indeed. Isaiah chapter number 11. Isaiah chapter number 11, the scripture records for us in about this future day, beginning in verse number 6. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion, and the fatling thereof, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall feed. Their young ones shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like an ox. The suckling child shall play as hole of the ass. The weaned child shall put his hand into the cockatrice den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in my holy mountain, for the Lord shall be full. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Death and calamity will be rare. What a glorious time this will be! Yes, redeemed Gentiles will enjoy each moment of this millennium. But the centerpiece of the millennial reign will be the redeemed Jewish nation. Remember Romans and all of Israel shall be saved. The distinction between redeemed Israel and the redeemed Gentiles. May God add blessing to the study of his word. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us, please write us at P.O. Box. 126541 Harrisburg, Pennsylvania 17112 and visit our website at www.svbcpa.org Until next time, 